Please turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. I think it's appropriate uh, that we go through this beatitude as we continue our study through the beatitudes in our Sunday evening services, uh, and that we heard this morning from Pastor Mike on Psalm 126, uh, and that we know that those who are in the Lord, that those who weep, are comforted by God. Uh, Matthew 5. 1 through 4 is on page 809 in your Bible. And I'll read it now. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are those that are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When you hear the term mourning, what do you think of? What words come to mind? What other words are associated with mourning? Mourning in its truest sense, uh, is defined as being in a state of grief, typically over somebody's death. Wearing black clothes is an appropriate expression of somebody who's going through a process of mourning. Uh, A few years ago, Jenny and I were in Thailand, uh, and the king of Thailand had recently died. Uh, We were not even permitted into the Grand Palace in Bangkok if we were not wearing black. Um, That was the rule that went on for the entire year. Um, And so we see that grief, sorrow, lament, wearing of black, these are all words I would associate with mourning. Uh, A broken heart typically follows um, in a stage of mourning uh, as we mourn, as we grieve somebody who has died. Uh, Desire to be with them again, even uh, if we didn't spend a whole lot of time with them on this earth, we still desire that. That's part of the mourning process. It's a period uh, that we go through of healing is what we use as terminology is usually called for. Mourning is not fun, uh, but the reality is is that we will all go through it at some stage in our life. Like the old saying, the only two guaranteed things in life are death and taxes. So why would Jesus say blessed are those who mourn? Surely Jesus doesn't mean blessed is everybody because they go through natural life, right? He doesn't say blessed are those who breathe air, right? We all do it. But I think what Jesus is saying is that blessed are those who follow Jesus because they will invoke a mercy and a gift of peace in their troubled times of mourning. Let me outline for you a few reasons that will serve um, as our outline as we move through this devotion. Number one, everybody will mourn, but Christians are to mourn our sin. I'll say that again. Everyone will mourn, but Christians are to mourn our sin. Number two, repentance is expressed genuinely through mourning. Repentance is expressed genuinely through mourning. And number three, without Jesus, there can be no comfort in mourning. Number three, without Jesus, there can be no comfort in mourning. Uh, Now, the Beatitudes, as we've been going through this study, are characteristics of the kingdom of God. That's what the the Beatitudes are. So before we jump into these points, let's just recap what, what we mean by blessed. Blessed is a special favor, a mercy, or a benefit bestowed on us by God. Blessings are generally a positive thing, um, where curses generally have a negative connotation to them. You can bless someone with uh, an act of service, with a gift, sharing a meal. Um, You can be a blessing to lending an ear or a gift. In many cases, a blessing requires, insinuates, suggests an influence of the supernatural. To be blessed is to receive a gift uh, by divine means. Here, Jesus tells us that the gift that he divinely grants to us is comfort 
in our peace or in our and peace in our time of mourning. So let's move to our first point. We as Christians are to mourn our sin. When Jesus says, "Blessed are those who mourn," this is not something that he started or is an idea that just came about on his earthly ministry. This is something that we see is repeated throughout the Old Testament. Joel 2:12 says, "Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity." Joel, the Old Testament prophet, tells us that we ought to mourn our sin. The Bible gives us several examples of mourning over our sin. We think of uh, the pro- uh, we think of Ezra, or we think of David after his episode of Bathsheba. He writes Psalm 51. It's, it's a beautiful example of mourning. Ezekiel, uh, in Ezekiel, God instructs the prophets to go through the city and put a mark on everybody's head who has mourned, has sighed, has grieved over the sins of the abominations that took place in the city. They go through the city, they put a mark on everyone's head, and then everybody who did not mourn or grieve over their sin was put to death with the sword. So we see that a mourning, a grief over sin is the appropriate response to, uh, to sin. Or how about King Ahab? King Ahab was arguably one of the most evil men in the Old Testament. His wife was Jezebel, beautiful name, horrible woman. Um, in the Old Testament, he's confronted by Elijah the prophet, and Elijah tells him what his doom will be uh, should he not turn from his errant ways. Uh, King Ahab tears his clothes, he fasts, he refuses food and water, uh, he goes about in a state of mourning. Some translations use the term dejectedly. I've never used the term dejectedly to describe myself or anyone else, uh, but you can get the sense of the word, of the terminology, of the seriousness that you approach um, that level of, of your sin. But what's great is that God tells uh, Elijah that he's going to have mercy on King Ahab, and he says, look at how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring calamity in his days. So we see that the proper response to our sin is a state of mourning, that we should mourn our sins in the same way uh, in which God does and mourn our sins in the same way, uh, in the same seriousness as that which we would suffer loss or suffer the death of a loved one. Which brings me to my second point. Repentance is expressed genuinely through mourning. The mourning Jesus calls us to is genuine. It cannot be faked. The problem is, is that many of us don't take our sins as serious as we ought to. We don't view our sin in the same way that God sees our sins. Sin separating us, the love of God, his beloved, from him. He is so grieved by it and so angered by it that he would send his only son, Jesus, to die to reconcile us back to him. To remove the sin from us, um, Jesus has demonstrated, God has demonstrated his love for us and how much he is detested by, by sin. So we, do we hate sin? The question I have for us tonight is, do we hate sin as much as God hates it? Do we hate it that when we hear passages like the wages of sin is death, do we stop and meditate on that portion? Or do we only focus on the positive which follows it, which is the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus? We love to hear that. That's the good news. A lot of us don't like to hear the bad news of the sin and what it has done to us. We don't treat it seriously. 
I think back to my teenage days when I used to look at sin and death as just something that I could get fire insurance for. I would say a, a magical prayer, go to church and confess them you know, willy-nilly. Um, simply by saying these words, I would have my, uh, my hope in heaven would be secured, not because I had a love for Jesus or that I detested my sin, but merely because I was afraid of the consequences, right? No going to church, no amount of words, no magical prayer that we like to hear in modern day Christianity can really uh, appeal to God and confess what lurks deep in our hearts. You can't fake it. It has to be genuine. It has to come through with the deepest amount of mourning and sorrow if we are truly to confess it. I think of examples of how many times do we see a parent with two sons and they're fighting with each other, you know, and, and one, he says, hey, go apologize to your brother. You know, and the one boy turns to the other one and goes, sorry. You know, that's, that's not real. That's not real repentance, right? That's fake. Um, and that's not what Jesus calls us to do. That's not how we are called. We read in the prophets and the Psalms and we see examples over and over again of real of true repentance. We see mourning clothes, ashes on the faces, deep sorrow. Jeremiah 4, 8 calls for the people of Israel to put on sackcloth, lament, and wail for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned away from us. True repentance is not something that we can fake. Uh, a few years ago, Jenny and I took the apology languages test, right? Um, if you, I'm sure we've all heard of the five love languages, but if you've never heard of the apology languages, I highly recommend them to you. They've done wonders for our marriage. Um, it really brings to heart how do you deal with your wrongs. When you've been wronged by somebody, when you have been... Um, or wrong, when either you have wronged somebody or somebody has done something to you that has put you in a bad relationship, how do you deal with it? Me, I'm a fixer, right? I want, it, I want you to fix the problem and I want you to make sure that it doesn't happen again. If you put a baseball through my front window, I really don't care how you feel, like your emotions to me don't matter. I want you to pay for the window and then I want you to quit playing baseball in my front yard and go to the field across the street so it doesn't happen again. Other people, like. Uh, like to be punishers, right? They want to know that the pain that they're feeling when you've wronged them, that you are going through the same emotional response, and they want to have that. That's when they can start to build and start to move forward is when you both are at the same level of heartache, when you're both at the same level. So how do you deal with it? How do you deal with your repentance, with your apology language? Uh, do you express regret? Do you attempt to make rest restitution? How do you want to make amends? Well, Jesus has given us his apology language. It's mourning. You are to mourn over your sins. We know that we cannot, we are incapable of making restitution for our wrongs. We can't make it right. We can't fix it. A do better next time approach to forgiveness is merely legalism and it puts righteousness in our own plates, which is ultimately going to fail, right? We are to mourn our sins. Mourning, like baptism, is an outward expression of an inward feeling of sorrow. A broken and contrite heart, a state of mourning, unrest or discomfort, all are signs of forgiveness that we must take in order to make restitution through, with Jesus. So Christian, ask yourself, what is my response when I sin? What is my response to my sin? Am I numb to it or does it pain me? Am I more upset when my team loses on Saturday afternoon or when I lose my tongue and I hurt a friend? Am I more upset when my plans get ruined or when I harbor bitterness towards another believer? Is confession of sin something I give lip service to 
Or does it change my emotional status in the moment? Does my sin cause a change in my behavior? Or do I try to justify my actions? Do I discard it and set it aside to deal with later? Or is, when I sin, am I so overbearing that I must stop what I'm doing, confess it immediately, and repent before I can move on to my next task throughout the day? Are we more concerned with our reputation? Are we more concerned with our earthly progress? Or are we more concerned with our standing before Jesus in our sin? James 4, 8 through 10 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. God's desire is not that we ought to live in anguish, but that our sin should never be a comfort to us. And that's going to bring me to my third point, and we'll spend the majority of our time here. That without Jesus, there can be no comfort. Mourning for the Christian comes in two forms. Number one, the natural, which is when you experience death and loss. And number two, which is spiritual mourning over our sins. Mourning is designed, it's a phase. It's intended to be for a time, and then we're able to move on. Christians, when we mourn, our hope is in Jesus Christ. We are comforted because of Christ. Another way to look at this passage may read, A gift of peace that only God can deliver will come to those who mourn in the hope of Christ because he will comfort them. I've conducted over 125 funerals in Arlington National Cemetery. And I'll tell you that within the first three to four minutes of the eulogy of the service, you can tell which families have the hope in Jesus Christ and which ones don't. You can tell that the attitude is completely different. Uh, I, I will never forget there was one funeral we did for a man who was 93 years old. He had been teaching Sunday school for 60 years, and he only stopped about six months before he passed away. The family was laughing. They were smiling. They were giggling. As we were coming up, they were singing the hymns and prayers. Uh, they were echoing the prayers of, of the pastor or of the, the chaplain as he's leading the service. And it was so exciting to be around that I almost lost all composure, and I almost cracked a smile as I was giving the flag to the daughter receiving it on behalf of her of her father, I had to kick myself and be like, whoa, that's like not appropriate. Um, but it was so joyous to me. As I walked off the funeral um, and, and I was going back to, to meet with the, the rest of the guys, and the only thing I could think of was, that's how I want my funeral to be. That's how I want to be. The mourning that they're doing, yes, they're mourning the death of their father, but they have hope. They have the hope in Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection, that there will be a resurrection later. Um, what an evangelism tool. What better way do we have to show unbelievers as Christians that we have the hope in Jesus, that in our deepest and our darkest times, that when we are, we are mourning, that we have hope, that we have the love of Jesus in us. Um, it was a great conversation as we went back to the buses that people would say, like, wow, that family was really happy. And I was like, yeah, because they have Jesus. They don't have to worry about anything else, right? The opposite, though, tragically, um, is that those who do not have hope in Jesus, rather they have hurt and they have pain and they have no answers. Those of us who are in Christ are comforted in our mourning because we do have the hope in the resurrection. Those who have no hope in the resurrection have no hope and death is a final state and it's unbearable and it has a scary end. 
So if you're here tonight and you're not a believer and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have not mourned over your sin because of what it has done to your relationship with God, then will you turn at some point in your life and there will come a time when your loved ones will mourn you and you will mourn over others. The only comfort in these times is in the resurrection of Christ. Turn to him now, repent, and he will comfort you and give you the hope for the future. Jesus provides the comfort that no one else or nothing else can. What's up, guys? Um, let's look to the second form of our mourning. Christian, when you sin, mourn for your sin. Regret your sin. Be troubled by your sin. Do not be comfortable in your sin. But instead, do not wallow in it. Do not stay in that stage of regret. Find comfort in the forgiveness of your sins. Find comfort that your sins are not counted against you because of the works of Jesus Christ on the cross in his death and resurrection. 1 John 1.8 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. But listen to this promise that follows. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, uh, he discusses a previous letter that he had written to the Corinthians. And he says that it, it grieved them to mourn and to, to weep. Paul says he rejoiced when he got news that the Corinthians were weeping and they were mourning, not because of the grief that his letter caused them, but that his letter to the Corinthians caused them to have a heart of repentance and to turn from their ways. And then he says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Jesus is not the means to our comfort. Jesus is our comfort. Jesus does not lead us to a comfortable place, to a comfortable atmosphere. He doesn't give us our earthly desires for the mere sake of our enjoyment. Our comfort is in knowing Jesus, in abiding, abiding in him, um, and being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, uh, what he says is that he is going to do the blessing himself. He's not saying blessed are those who have suffered loss. He's saying blessed are those who have grieved over their sinfulness, for I will forgive their sins and return them to me the place of true comfort. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. What comfort is there greater than that than the rest and the peace in your soul? I can think of no greater comfort no greater luxury than the rest in my own soul. But hear the words of Jesus that comfort is a promise. He doesn't say, blessed are those who mourn, maybe they'll be comforted. He says, for they will be comforted. Comfort is a promise. Mourning our sin is an indicator of a repentant heart. And a repentant heart is what God desires over sacrifices and gifts. Revelation 21.4 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. 
To those who have not accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior, know that the struggle with sin is temporary. It is not everlasting. Jesus has taken away our sins. He has nailed it to the cross. He has removed your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. He has paid the price for those sins and he has taken them that we may no longer have to wallow in our own sin, but we can have them removed. Know that any comfort that you seek, unbeliever, will return void without Jesus. He only asks that you repent and believe. Will you accept him today? Will you accept that comfort and that peace from Jesus Christ today? Christian, mourn your sin, but only for a time. Rejoice in the knowledge that Jesus has taken it from you and find your comfort and your peace in the person of Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah confirms in chapter 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. To bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. In our darkest times, we know that we have a divine gift of grace bestowed upon us in the person of Jesus Christ. Trust in him and he will provide comfort in your mourning. Let's pray.